Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Warren Strawbridge. Today, you can see the sermon is about motivation. <laughs> you know, when you look at Christianity, we quite often never look at what is the motivation for us being here today. Um, and of course, that will be different. You know, for there can, like, I don't know how many people here, but let's say there's 30 people here. There could be 30 different motivations for us being here today. So the question is, what motivates you to be here today, to motivate you to be at church today? But we could ask this question about really about everything in life. Um, what, what motivates us to be friendly? Um, what motivates us to do the things that we do in life? Sometimes we don't analyse that. But it's good to analyse why we do things. What drives us to do the things that we do? You know, some people are friendly because they're just friendly people. Other people are friendly because they want other people to think well of them. They're, you know, and, and it goes on. Um, we can pay tithe. We can do good things because we want to receive God's blessings. But in reality, it should be because we have a grateful heart for what God has done for us. And we are just giving back to him because we're so grateful about what God has done for us. And we, we, we appreciate his love. I want to tell a story, and this is a true story. I, I heard the story, so it's secondhand. It was told by Dale Hoken um, once I heard him preach, and I, I remembered the story um, that he told. So I don't know any of the people in the story, but I want to share the story with you. And it gets to, to motivation, what motivates us. There was an older couple that lived in this particular cul-de-sac, and they had, and I don't know if it was their granddaughter or their daughter that they were bringing up. She was quite a lot younger than them. And across the road lived a, um, a single guy. And, and he actually really liked the look of this young lady. And he thought, how can I get to know her? And he thought about it and he kept thinking about it. How can I get to know her? Then one day the light bulb went on and he thought, I know how I can do it. This older couple struggled mowing their lawns. He said, I'm going to go and offer to mow their lawns. And maybe through mowing the lawns I'll get to know them and then this young lady. And this is actually what transpired. And it actually worked. His plan actually worked. He got to know this young lady and started dating her primarily because of his plan to mow the lawns for this older couple. And uh, the problem was that about six months after he 
he um, got to know this young lady, he actually told her why he was mowing the lawns. And she didn't react too well to that. In fact, that ended their relationship. So we can do things that look good to other people, but what's the motivation? Why are we doing those things? And it's good to ask ourselves these difficult questions because when it comes to being Christians, is there any point to being a Christian in life if we don't go to heaven? Is there any point in being a Christian if we don't know God? You know, when Jesus came to this world and he ministered in his three and a half years of ministry, he always cut through the dross. People would like Nicodemus asked him a question. He asked him, uh, he said, oh, you're a, you're a great leader. We can see you from God. So Jesus cut straight through it and asked him a question about being born again. The woman at the well, Jesus went straight to the heart of the matter. You know, many of the people those days, they had a facade about themselves. You know, they put up a false front. Are we any different today? The question is, are we any different to the people that lived in Christ's day? Today I want to look at two stories, biblical stories. Um, the rich young ruler and the story of Zacchaeus. To point out the difference between where we could be going and where we want to go. So I want to look at those two stories today and, and hopefully we can see what should be the motivation for us to walk with God. But before I do that, I just want to tell you a story, um, another story, before I pray, um, about a, a lady who goes to our church um, in Levin. I'm not going to tell you what her name is, um, but some of the people from Levin Church may be able to work out who I'm talking about. About three months ago, this particular um, lady and her husband came to church. And I, I didn't get to speak to them the first week, but the second week they came... I, I actually, they were standing outside and, and um, I, I walked up to them and introduced myself and started talking and started asking questions. And I said, so what was your motivation for coming back to the Lord? Because she'd been raised an Adventist, but had gone off into the world for, you know, like I had for a, a number of years. So what was your motivation to come back to the Lord? And she said... Her motivation was fear. The fear of seeing what's happening in the world today and knowing that what the Bible had said as she was growing up as a young girl was actually true. 
She could see it playing out. And so she was afraid and she had to get back to where she was when she was younger. And so she started coming back to church. And just as a side note to that story is, um, I was in Palmerston North yesterday and I ran into her mother, who does not live in Palmerston North. And I, I was talking to her about her daughter. And she, she told me that um, she had watched a, a sermon by Pavel Goya um, about praying for your children. And she said that in that sermon, Pavel Goya had encouraged the people to dedicate their children who they were praying for to the Lord, just to give them to the Lord because, and, and acknowledge that there was nothing that they can do to save their own children except pray for them and be used by God however that is. And she said, two weeks after I, I just gave her to God and said, I can't do anything. You're going to have to do it. She's your child. Two weeks after that, she came to church for the first time. Is that powerful? That's very powerful. But this lady who came to church, her motivation was fear, which isn't, which isn't the good motivation to come to the Lord. But the Lord loves each person so much that no matter what their motivation for coming to church or coming back to know the Lord, he wants to change that motivation from fear to love. And if our desire is like the song that was sung before, I want to know you more, if we keep seeking the Lord God with all our hearts and all our minds, it doesn't matter what the motivation was at the start of the journey. It's what our motivation is at the end of the journey that's important. Today it may be I'm at church because um, I'll use one that's not probably the case in this church. is because I'm a young lady and I'm looking for a husband. Or vice versa. <coughs> That's, that's not a good motivation for going to church, is it? But when we come to church, hopefully that's somewhere along the line, we go from our motivation from being an impure motivation to being a pure one. Anyhow, before I go any further, friends, um, and we look at these stories, biblical stories, I, I want to just... Um, pray and so I just invite you to bow your heads. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to, to come into your holy house on your holy day. Lord, we thank you that the only thing that makes us holy is your presence in our life. Father, I just pray that each heart and mind will be open today. I pray that you will speak through me. Uh, Lord, I just pray that the words that I speak will be from on high. We seek your presence this, to this day, praying and asking this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you know, motivation, as I said, is so important because it cuts through the dross of everything else. You know, when we look at Revelation, we look at the seven churches. We are the church of Laodicea. And so God just tells the church of Laodicea, you think this, but but you're like that. You think that you are rich and increased with goods, but you are actually naked and poor. See, God tells us that in love. He tells us the truth in love. And so today, what I'm saying may, may upset or hurt somebody, but that's not my purpose. My motivation is to help you. And sometimes you can't be helped until you face the truth of where you are in your spiritual journey. You know, when you, when you talk about the word motivation, you know, I, I, having been a pastor and worked in churches, um, they have a thing, we have a thing in our churches called Ad Safe because we want our children and our members to be safe. Because when a person comes into our church, we don't always know what their motivation for coming into our church is. And we've had people come to our churches in Palmerston North and Levin, and their motivation was not a pure motivation. They weren't coming to seek God. They were coming because they had hang-ups, and some of them were to do with children, and they liked to hang around children. And so a pastor's job can be very challenging sometimes, having to deal with the stuff that goes on behind the scenes You know, some men tell their wives, I love you, I love you. And a wife will only believe that if she sees the actions that back that up. Telling a woman that you love her means nothing if your actions don't back it up. You know, most of us, we do have a little bit of a facade about ourselves. We want people to think well of us. And how we talk and act at home is not how we always act, maybe at church or at work or wherever we are. They say if you want to know what somebody's like, ask their children. If you want to know what someone's like, go and spend some time with them in their home. You know, in the time of Jesus, from the Pharisees to the people, to the average person, they all had a facade. They weren't looking for a saviour to save them from sin. They were looking for a saviour to save them from the Romans. So the question is, are you looking for a saviour to save you from sin? I, I, I saw this wonderful um, statement by Ty, by Ty Gibson um, This is not actually it. This is me paraphrasing it because I couldn't remember it. Um, But I I, I wish I'd saved it. It was on Instagram and I saw it there and I thought, man, what a wonderful quote that was. And so this is is not what he said, but it's as close to the thought as I can remember. To have victory over sin, we need to love God more than we love sin. 
And that's why so many people struggle in the Christian walk. They don't want to love sin, but they don't love God more than they love sin. You see, Christianity is about love. It's about loving God who already loves us and has proven that and proves that every day. The problem with Laodicea is that they don't see their own selves as they really are. What does the Bible say? In Revelation 3.17, the Bible says, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's what God says about us in the church of Laodicea. But now God gives us the answer. He doesn't tell us that we are miserable and just leaves us there. No, he, he gives us the answer to what is our problem. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your, your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now I'm not going to focus on these particular verses today too much but I want to point out that that the sermon today about motivation is very important for the church of Laodicea because we are not as good as we think we are we see ourselves not as we really are You know, when Dennis Price and I go uptown and we, we do um, Thursday about lunchtime, um, if I'm finished working time, I go with him. And we talk to people, or we share the gospel on the street. Now, I know that not, that's not everyone's cup of tea. I mean, sharing the gospel on the street is probably nearly, probably nine out of ten in dif difficulty. But I praise God that I... I have the ability to do that and I can handle rejection because you can't you can't start talking to people about Jesus on the street without being rejected but the people on the street they realize they have a need and the only ones who respond to us on the street are people who have a need. People whose lives are going sweetly. They've got plenty of money, got a great job, great family. Everything's going well. Those people don't respond to us because they don't feel their need. It's the people that have got issues in their life. Those are the people that respond. People that see their, they have a need What need do we have, friends? What is our need? Do we realize that? Do we realize that we're sinners in need of a savior? A savior who has paid the price for the sins that we have committed. 
So as I, I think about Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, what was their motivation for coming to Jesus? And, and what is my motivation for coming to Jesus? So you know these stories, but I'm, I'm going to read them quickly uh, anyway. Um, oh, I know what I was going to do. <laughs> I'm going to read it from the Bible. Okay, let's... Uh, so I'd just like to uh, invite you to um, Mark chapter 10, if you've got your Bible. Um, PowerPoint is always quicker, but sometimes it's good to open the Bible, isn't it? To get into the habit of opening your Bible and hearing the Holy Spirit speak to us. So Mark 10... 17 to 22. Mark, Mark chapter 10 and verse 17 uh, to verse 22. The story of the rich young ruler. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know that the commandments, do you commit adultery, do you not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Don't miss that. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Now he's going to show the rich young ruler where his weakness was. Go your way, sell Whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The rich young ruler was rich and powerful. He knew he lacked something. He had said to Jesus, I've kept all the commandments, but we know that nobody can keep the commandments perfectly. As he said that he had. I want to show you where the weaknesses in, in the rich young ruler's um, theology, but first I want to go to the story of Zacchaeus. And the story of Zacchaeus is in uh, Luke chapter 19. So if we can just go to Luke chapter 19. And Luke chapter 19 starting in verse 1 and to verse 10. Luke chapter 19 verse 1 to verse 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. 
He was rich, just like the rich young ruler. He was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was a sh- of st- short statue. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, being the Pharisees, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. They obviously didn't think they were sinners. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said, What did he say? Today salvation has come to this, ha- to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You see, the rich young ruler, he knew he lacked something. But he wasn't prepared to give up his riches for Jesus. What did Zacchaeus seek? What was he seeking? Because remember, the the rich young ruler was seeking eternal life. He said, "What, what thing must I do, good teacher, to receive eternal life? What did Zacchaeus, what was the point of Zacchaeus and the story? Was he seeking eternal life? No, he wasn't seeking eternal life. What was he seeking? Yes. (laughs) Yes, well, at the end, he he saw that when the Spirit of God convicted him. But he was seeking, and you see it if you read there, he was... hmm? That's right. He was seeking Jesus. He wasn't seeking for eternal life. HMS Richard said, if I get to heaven and Jesus is not there, then I don't want to be there either. You see, the rich young ruler... He was seeking eternal life, but he was not seeking Jesus. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. You can't get any more simple than that, can you? And so the the question is, are we like Zacchaeus? Because salvation came to his house that day. Or are we like the rich young ruler? We're just seeking eternal life. You know, Jesus is calling everybody to him. And I want to just look at uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 
Jesus says to all of us, come to me all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me that I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we seek Jesus, he gives us rest. He takes our burdens and our spiritual journey becomes a life that is not devoid of, of trials, but it gives us joy. That as we navigate our life as a Christian, we have a joy. And, you know, how do we, you know, one of the, this is um, Irene's favorite Bible verse. It's a beautiful promise, but at the end of this promise, we're going to see something. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And we all want that. We all need that. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you seek me with you wholeheartedly, you will find me. Why do a lot of people not find Jesus? Because they don't search for him with their whole heart. They search with them with a divided heart. Love for the world and love for God. And that's a problem, friends. You know, the Bible says in, in, in Matthew 6.33 that if we seek God and his righteousness, then he will give us everything else we need. We don't need to worry about other stuff. God's going to give it to us. If we seek him first, if we seek Christ first, then everything that we need will be given to us. So, you know, are we seeking Jesus with a pure motivation? Or is our goal just to get to heaven? Because if our goal is just, if our goal is just to get to heaven, we're probably not going to make it, be honest with you. But if our goal is to seek Christ, to look to him, then we will receive heaven. And so the way we get to heaven is to seek Christ. You know, um, it talks about, in the Bible, it talks about the fact that the cornerstone of the church the cornerstone of the Christian's life is Christ, the rock. You know, when they tried to put the, the, the wall and the temple together, there was no rock that could take the load. But they found this discarded rock that fitted perfectly, which is a picture of Christ. Is Christ your cornerstone? Because you see, friends, he needs to be. You know, I say this quite often, and, and sometimes I'm misunderstood. But Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Christianity is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler was focused on eternal life, and he went away sad. Zacchaeus was focused on Jesus and he found the purpose of his life 
he found eternal life because it says in 1 John, he that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Eternal life comes in the greatest gift that heaven has ever given us. And that gift is Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus is saying, come to me today. You know, coming to him is far different than just coming to church. You can come to church, but maybe you have never, ever come to Christ and given your life to him as Zacchaeus did. And so there are two camps. There are those that are like the rich young ruler that are just seeking for the blessings without seeking the blessing giver. The blessing giver is Christ. So today I want you to think about whenever you hear these stories again, the rich young ruler, or as you hear the story of Zacchaeus, I pray that you will remember the sermon of today that Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus is about seeking Christ. And then we receive the blessing giver and all his blessings. But when we're like the rich young ruler, we end up with nothing. Well, sure, the rich young ruler had possessions and had a life that he lived in this world. But when you think about how short time goes in this world, and you know, I'm 61. It only seems like yesterday I was 21. And I know that anyone who's older knows that. It doesn't take long for life to go. And I don't care if every day living in the world, you have everything you want. It's going to finish. For what God has promised each one of us is never going to finish. It's going to last for eternity, forever. So the question is, am I seeking Jesus? Because that's how eternal life comes. And you wouldn't be at church today if these things weren't things you thought about, prayed about. And I praise God for each one of you that are here today. But today, my challenge to you, my appeal to you is to seek Jesus. You know, I, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And when I was 21, I left the church looking for happiness, looking for, I don't know what, but looking for something. Guess what? I never found it. Never found what I was looking for. 25 years later, when I'm 46, I didn't find Jesus. He found me. And he changed my life. Instead of being a person who just went to church and went through the, the motions of being a Christian, 
When I found Jesus, when Jesus found me and I found him, my life changed. The greatest thing that ever happened to me is finding Jesus. I mean really finding him, not just reading about him in a book in the Bible, but finding him, being able to talk to him. It changed my life. And anyone who's experienced that will know what I'm talking about. So I praise the Lord that you're heading in the right direction, friends. You're here at church. But this church cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. Look to him. Don't stop coming to church. Because we're all heading in the same direction. But seek Jesus because he will save you. And not only you, but he can save your families. He can save your friends. When they see Christ in you, they will want what you have. That's the most wonderful thing. And Ellen White says in a statement, which I'm probably going to have to paraphrase because I can't remember it exactly, but the most powerful argument for being a Christian is a lovable and loving Christian. Because when you meet someone that has joy, when you meet someone that has got Christ in their life, you know it. You know there's something different about that person. And you want what they have. And so today, that's my, my challenge for each one of us, is not just to be churchgoers, but to seek Christ in our life each and every day. Seek him first every morning. You know, Ellen White says that it's not our job to seek for salvation. Our job is to seek Jesus and allow the work of, of eternal life, the work of salvation to be his. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. It's not us. Our job is only to seek Christ. And when we seek Christ, everything else will come. That's my prayer for each one of you. I'm, I'm not going to make an appeal to um, ask you to stand. But I, I just, I pray that you will think about the things that I have shared today. Not just now, at the end of the sermon, but tomorrow and the next day. That you won't let what I've shared with you go. The answer is Jesus. That is the answer for everybody. But for you, the answer is Christ. Seek him with all your heart and you will find him. I can guarantee you that. Because if this terrible sinner could find Jesus, then there's hope for everybody. There's hope for you today, friend. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
message was made available by the Masterton Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit mastertonsta.nz. Joseph left him lay 
the precious Lamb, God's own begotten, was no longer in that grave. If you knew Him like I know Him, you unseen but just one step in his direction then in love he ran to me if you knew him like I know him you would know that he's alive Quartet sang, If You Knew Him. Before that, we heard the Weaver family sing, I Will Serve Thee. And coming up next, the Calvary Quartet will sing, Do You Know My Jesus? Have you a heart that's weary, tending a load of From the burden you bear Do you know, Do you know 
Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Harold Harker. This story is entitled The Minute We Got Off Our Knees. Philippians 4, 6-8 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Soon after Remnant Publications began, we realised that if we were going to print large quantities of books, we needed a three-knife trimmer which can cut the top, bottom and side edges of a book all at once. At the time, we only had a single knife trimmer, so we had to trim each book three different times. Besides the extra time it took, the weight that held the book down while cutting sometimes damaged the spine of the book. The single knife trimmer was okay for doing a few hundred books, but then we got an order for more than 5,000 copies of The Tsar of Ages, Ellen White's powerful book on the life of Christ. We didn't know how we were going to trim all those books. It would take days. Plus, we were very concerned about hurting the books when that clamp came down to hold them. Since it was a book on the life of Christ, we wanted to do a great job we had a meeting and I shared with our staff that we needed to pray that someone would give us a donation for a three knife trimmer or that God would work something else out. As a group, we knelt down and prayed, Lord, 
you want these books out more than we do. We trust in you to provide what we need. About 10 minutes later, I went down into the production area. Greg, the production manager, asked me, Dwight, have you come up with any ideas for getting these books trimmed? Greg, I replied, God has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. I know he will provide a way. We have to believe. We have to trust him. Greg and I got on our knees again and both of us prayed earnestly that God would open doors to make this project possible. The minute we got off our knees, my secretary came into the production area. Dwight, she called out to me, Jim is on the phone. He wants to talk to you. He said it's very important. Now Jim owned a company that sold three knife trimmers. He had come to visit Remnant six months earlier and I had given him my book, Learning to Walk with God. Jim turned out to be a strong Christian and a kindred spirit. He believed God was doing a special work through our ministry. Jim had earlier given me a price of $60,000 for a used refurbished trimmer. Normally, it would cost around $90,000. I knew we couldn't afford the trimmer, even at the discounted price, so I didn't think I needed to talk to Jim. Tell him I'll call him back in a few minutes, I said. My secretary came back a few moments later and said, Jim told me you won't want to miss this phone call. I returned to my office and picked up the phone. Have you had any luck getting your three-knife trimmer? Jim asked. No, I replied, but we've been praying about it. We know the Lord will provide. I want to help you out as much as I can, Jim said. We can deliver the trimmer to you with no freight charges and we'll give you 90 days to pay for it. This was an incredible offer, considering that I'd never even bought anything from Jim before. Let me get back to you, I said. We prayed about Jim's offer, but we felt we shouldn't go into debt that far. We were just a small ministry and we didn't feel it was God's will for us to overstep our finances so dramatically. I called Jim and told him, as Christians, we just don't feel we should do this. It wouldn't be financially responsible. Jim responded, I really appreciate your Christian principles. I haven't met too many people like you who just don't talk about being a Christian, but really live it. About 15 minutes later, Jim called back, again insisting that his call was urgent. How about this, he offered. I've got another three-knife trimmer available. It's older than the one we've been talking about, but it still works fine. I'll ship it to you for free. I'll help you hook it up for free, and I'll let you use it for free until you get the money to pay for it or someone else wants to buy it. We'll take it, I said. We had already stepped out in faith and printed the Desire of Ages, so we wanted the trimmer right away. Jim's company trucked it all the way from Iowa, 
and got it to us the next day. We used it for three to four months for free. It enabled us to finish The Desire of Ages and many other books. Since we were now producing and selling more books, we were able to purchase a better trimmer. It always impressed me that the minute we got off our knees, the secretary came and announced Jim's important phone call. God loves to answer his children's prayers when we pray seeking his will and the advancement of his kingdom. A reflection associated with this story comes from The Desire of Ages, page 356. The Bible shows us God in his high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy intelligences, all waiting to do his will. Through channels which we cannot discern, he is in active communication with every part of his dominion. But it is in this speck of a world, in the souls that he gave his only begotten Son to save, that his interest and the interest of all heaven is centred. God is bending from his throne to hear the cry of the oppressed. To every sincere prayer he answers, Here am I. He uplifts the distressed and downtrodden. In all our afflictions, he is afflicted. In every temptation and every trial, the angel of his presence is near to deliver. This story, The Minute We Got Off Our Knees, was written by Dwight Hall, the founder and CEO of Remnant Publications in Coldwater, Michigan. You can get information from remnantpublications.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.